Hello and welcome to Riel Opera Talk, a scholarly podcast on the Canadian Opera Company's production of Louis Riel. Today we're going to get right into the interview without too much preamble. We had the wonderful opportunity to speak with some of the cast of Louis Riel, which opens in just one week. For this interview, you're going to be hearing from Russell Braun, Michael Colvin, and James Westman. Without too much else, we're going to let them speak for themselves. Enjoy the interview. Well, thank you so much. We're so excited to get to speak to some of the cast today. We're speaking with some more on Monday, but today this is, this is great. So if we could just start off, if you could just sort of go around, say your name, which um, character you're playing in the opera, just so we can get familiar with everybody's voices. My name is James Westman, and I'm playing Sir John A. Macdonald, our first Prime Minister. My name is Michael Colvin, and I'm playing Thomas Scott. And I'm Russell Braun, and I'm playing Louis Riel. Fabulous. Um, could you please tell us what your first encounter was with Louis Riel the opera? <laughs> Starting with maybe uh, Russell could start. Sure. Well, the first encounter actually was through my first voice teacher who premiered the work in 1967, Roslan, uh, Roxlana Roslak, who's still around and who I hope you've had a chance to talk to we spoke as with well. Her. Yeah, she was my first voice teacher. And even before I was enrolled in the University of Toronto, where we studied this in, um, you know, history of music, and because when I went to university anyway, this was the Canadian opera. Now, you know, thankfully mm -hmm. there are so many more. Mm -hmm. And that was my first exposure with sort of this, I think it's kind of work that when you've been involved with it, you're part of a, um, fraternity or, or uh, um, sorority, whatever. It, I don't want to say club because that makes it sound like it's too glib, but it's, it, I, th I have a feeling that the production and the opera is something that sort of bonds performers. Mm -hmm. um, I do remember studying it in music history class, but the big thing for me was actually working with the original conductor, Victor Feldbrill, when um, I was involved in a recording of Serenette, one of Harry's operettas, and um, I do I remember sort of how st stylistically uh, th the piece was was quite interesting. It, but it wasn't opera in the traditional sense that we've all come to know. Um, it was sort of like a, as we were talking about earlier, cinematic, um, atmospheric music underneath, sometimes dialogue, sometimes sung speech. And uh, it was it was a new kind of a new experience for me when I when I did it and I took to it and really enjoyed it. So it's nice to come back to Harry's work now, having experienced that. I first heard of it, you know, obviously through as as Mike and Russell told you through University of Toronto history classes. You know, you had an excerpt where you had to remember what it was, and I remember <laughs> I got a little confused between that and, and African chant music at, at one point, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's a Canadian opera, I must remember that. And then when I was in the Canadian Opera Company Ensemble, I had the great opportunity to mentor with um, Cornelius Optoff. He was a, a great mentor and friend of mine. He showed me a lot of stagecraft, and I was covering uh, Sharpless with him. And I remember him telling me, because um, I, I couldn't figure out the Puccini beat and how he had all these props, and he says, well, you've done nothing yet. You should try Louis Riel. And, 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 and he told me all about this. And Russell mentioned a fraternity. Well, you know, you have, uh, I guess you, guess you say, dues to pay, or you have initiation. I think that's what the moment we're in right now is we're, we're being initiated into the fraternity. And I think Cora's laughing at us right now. <laughs> 
of you tell us um, about your research into the role and each of your roles? What was your process? Who or what did you consult? Again, we could start mm -hmm. with Brussels. Well, <laughs> the research into a role like this, I have to say, is 99.9% .9 learning the musical score. Not only because it's, it's challenging and it's difficult and it's, it consumes you in a way and it exhausts you, but you know, with, with any score, there's an interpretation and an understanding of who the character is that's in the music. That helps you in a way that, you know, reading diaries or historical accounts of events can't communicate because Harry Summers had an inspiration to, uh, not an only an inspiration, but a, a kind of kinship with that the character. So. That's been, I mean, I exaggerate when I say 99.9% .9 because I did read books about Riel, of course, and read a little bit about his, his own um, writings as well. There, there's quite a few of his own words in the libretto. Um, but in s some of the other characters that I've done, I've actually not done that many historical characters, it's really my first responsibility is to try to find what the music expresses in the work because that's that's what'll get you through from point A to point Z mm. <laughs> in the opera and not necessarily whether you knew for sure whether he was left-handed or right-handed mm. um, that was that was my uh, mm. my process anyway is to just completely immerse myself in the music and always ask why, why are there all these, why is the range so huge, why, why is it so chromatic sometimes, why, um, why is there this incredible rapidity of speech that he has both in, Fre in French and in English and sort of layer by layer you, you find the character that hopefully was intended. Mm. Think. What would you? Yeah, well, it's on? actually in contrast to Russell um, because my character is there's not a lot of music to really dig into because he's often shouty and it's you know yeah well we'll probably get to that later on. Um, so what I did is I sort of did what a lot of people do now and I googled <laughs> Thomas Scott Louis Riel and checked out Wikipedia and started there and uh, you know found out a lot about the history of of Thomas Scott and you know. Uh, with apologies to his ancestors now, he certainly comes across and sounds a lot like just a real SOB and just not a very <laughs> nice person. And, um, and he's re it's reflected in the way Harry set the character into the music. Um, and it, uh, on a funny note, I went out and purchased, somebody told me about the Chester Brown graphic novel. Yeah. So I went out and got it for my kids because I thought, oh, that's a neat way to introduce them to the story. And then I started to read it, and I, got, I was gripped by it. And it's really wonderful, and it's a really great history. And a lot of people, now that after having read it and I've talked to other people about it, it is considered quite uh, you know, an authentic history of Louis Riel. And on a fun, another funny note was that my character, um, in particular, <laughs> whenever he speaks in the show, or in the, sorry, in the show, whenever he speaks in the comic, the little speech bubble is X, 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 X. And there's a footnote at the bottom which says, the letter X denotes racist comment and profanity. So basically, <laughs> the, in this particular Chester Brown um, comic, he's always swearing and making racist comments. And in fact, that's <coughs> what he does in the show a yeah. lot too. He's uh, a very aggressive individual. So uh, yeah, that was my uh, research. 
Well, for my research, I, you know, you, you're playing the first Prime Minister of Canada. We have so many assumptions, and uh, I did what the very opposite of Russell, and I should have done what Russell did and just looked in the music because I did all this research. Found out that, oh, I, he likes scotch. He must like scotch. No, he actually <laughs> likes gin. drank a lot of gin. Then I, I took the entire libretto <laughs> and formated a, you know, a perfect uh, you know, uh, a Scottish accent and realized at the age of six that he lived in Kingston and had no Scottish accent, so I had to get rid of that. That was 40 hours wasted. And, uh, and then, so I, I did look at my, my next door neighbor who was William Hutt in Stratford. I live in Stratford. I had the pleasure of living beside Mr. Hutt. And, uh, and so I looked at that documentary to try to get an, an idea of, of maybe physicality. But then I realized, looking at the score and, and what, what Harry Summers brought to the character, that he had an incredible amount of villainy, um, creating confederacy and racism, and didn't care about anything but creating this confederation and kind of kept himself in a bubble. Um, and that's why he drank gin. <laughs> so, so it is in the music, and so I could read a hundred books, and I did, but it, it made no sense because a lot of the history, even the history that we're taught today, mm. is still marred by this idea of this incredible man, which did create confederation, but at the same time he decided to kill Louis Riel, and that was, and he had hundred, hundred of different individuals that were caught for treason, but Louis Riel was the only one that actually was condemned to death. So. There was, you know, it was his nemesis, and he was, a, he was in some sense, he was a murderer. Um, so, yeah. So that was mm. my research. <laughs> um, so, what am I doing here? <laughs> Russell, what are the challenges of playing R Louis Riel, both vocally and dramatically? What do you love about the role, and is it similar to anything else you've sung before? Oh, it's... It's completely dissimilar, really. Um, I don't have another role in my repertoire that's as as voluminous, or is that the right word? Oh, it's, it's, there's just so much. There's so much text. There's also there isn't another role um, that I know of that's really bilingual. Um, and trilingual. Tri trilingual <laughs> if you add the mitchiv, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and the odd German word that I make up. <laughs> 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 no, um, so I'm fairly fluent in French, and the, the, the French hasn't come too much as a challenge, except for the, the speed that, that, you know, his, he has so much to say. And he actually says that at the end of his trial scene, it ends with him sort of being at a loss of words because he says there is so much to say, so much, and then it just kind of collapses in a way. Um, so vocally it's also, it's got a really significant range. Um, thankfully all the, the lower um, writing sort of drifts off more into spoken range. Um, but it's extremely high. Um, it, you know, it really pushes the the envelope of the baritone range sometimes. And I mean, I'm used to that to a certain extent. But as I'm getting older, <laughs> you know, the um, one's voice changes, and I can't I can't imagine a singer in his twenties um, performing this role. It's uh -huh. it's just it's. My my dad um, 
when we spoke about repertoire, sort of that at the baritone voice would evolve into, he said to me once, you, you know, just wait until you're in your late 40s and 50. Um, your vocal cords become more leathery. And then you can afford to sing certain repertoire that, um, you know, as a young singer, you just have to stay away from. So I, I think my vocal cords are leathery enough for, um, <laughs> for the reader. But it's also, sorry, just to take so much time, but um, it's also very lyrical. I mean, there, there's this, there's his sort of conflicted spirituality, which sometimes the way that um, Harry Summers investigates it through the music makes me think, is this a, a Catholic uh, um, fanatic who's into flagellation, things that, that just kind of uh, are evoked through the, the musical figures and the returning kind of uh, um, patterns, or is that kind of Harry Summers trying to infuse the meti uh, um, sort of chanting into the character but it kind of it's it skirts uh, um, that boundary for me like what what is sort of intonation and spirituality and what is um, religious fanaticism and I think Harry Summers very cleverly mm. kind of found a way to express that through the music um, so it's just <laughs> sum up, I guess, vocally, it's a role that through with most of the roles that I, I sing, I can pretty much launch myself into it and I don't have to be too concerned about preservation and making sure I don't sing when I'm too fatigued and all of that, but I, with all you real, I can't afford to do that. I, I can sort of give everything once and then I think I probably need two days of um, resting or marking or whatever, mm -hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> Is there anything about the role that you especially love? Scenes um, or sections of the opera? Well, that's kind of evolved slowly. I have, I have to say, I, I mean, I approached the score with an open mind and I didn't love it at first sight. I didn't hate it at first sight. I was just frustrated at first mm -hmm. sight mm -hmm. because it's just so um, you reach your point of sort of your threshold very quickly I find with this music after about 40 minutes I just can't absorb anymore and um, what I love though and I think our production really helps that is this connection to the Aboriginal spirituality and you know the little tiny things that we each of us some some more because I know James you're um, you, you say you're part so we all you know have exposure to it to one level or another but mm -hmm. this production really kind of names it and oh. I have to say that um, one of my favorite moments was actually the very beginning when we were we had the smudging ceremony, and I thought, mm -hmm. that's the reward of this piece that I've been waiting for, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because it's like banging your head <laughs> against the wall, and then suddenly there was this beautiful ceremony, and everybody was on the same page, and I thought, I feel rewarded, mm -hmm. you know, even just a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's my experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
So Louis Riel and Sir Johnny McDonald are opposed or paired together in so many ways throughout this opera, even though they're never in the same scene. Can you talk about the relationship of these two characters that's built up in the opera, maybe starting with James? Yeah, well, I think Louis Riel represents a tremendous amount of, of angst for, for Sir John A. You know, Sir John A had two battling demons. One was, was the French and one was the indigenous people. <clears throat> and you get both in Louis Riel and a charismatic leader. So it's interesting to, to note that they never met. And we, we, we're on stage for, for one scene in the opera, but we're actually in separate scenes. Um, and so I was really excited. I was always oh, gonna get to sing with Russell. You know, he's like a brother to me. We <laughs> study with Miss Kerr and I realized we don't sing one note together. There's not one, you know, declamatory duet or anything. And um, so, it's it's interesting. I, I I find I'm fine through exploring the music and through the text, the way he counterbalances that hate for Louis Riel is his admiration. There's several times where I admire Louis Riel in the opera, and it's actually direct text written taken from letters and diaries. And you know, the, I say this is the worthiest adversary I've seen. Um, how could I? Do you think I want to hang this man? Um, he played, you know, he, you know, he played for high stakes and he lost. But it, so there's there's this balance between playing a villain, and he is a villain um, because I do have indigenous heritage and it, it it's far back in my family, my my great grandmother. But it's still a part of me, and 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 I, I feel it in this opera in, in a in a great sense. And so there's a responsibility to to create the true story, but not to make him into a villain. And, and to understand the true relationship that he had with Louis Riel, never actually meeting him face to face. And I don't even, I think he wrote some letters, but I don't think that there was ever really true correspondence. And the history would have changed greatly if, if there was, mm -hmm. I think. But, yeah. So. Well, I, I don't really have much to add. I was just, I'm just thinking though that. Uh, Sir John A was, you know, is defined by the fact that he was a, a politician as well. And uh, in terms of what label you would attach to Louis Riel, um, he himself wouldn't have identified as a politician in that sense. He was much more, um, he, he thought he would lead his people, the Métis people in the 20th century. I mean, he speaks about the 20th century. There's something that... Um, Peter has spoken to us all about that he believed they were the chosen um, people uh, um, of the Old Testament, really. Mm -hmm. um, so he doesn't see himself as a politician as much. And yet, I mean, politicians, they were all, we all define them by their actions, right? And whether they're good or evil is just, for history to sort of mm -hmm. decide yeah. decades it's later. Pragmatic. So yeah. Um, and it's sad that way because a lot of cultures would be, you know, saved and, and not hurt so so badly <laughs> as we still deal with in 2017. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Thomas Scott stands out to us as maybe the most irrational character of the <laughs> 1969 television broadcast. <laughs> Um, he hardly sings, as you mentioned, he's mm -hmm. aggressive and brusque. Has Thomas Scott's character been modernized for this performance in any way? And what's your particular approach to that character? 
I think calling him irrational lets him off the hook in some ways as a person, really, okay. because I think he's entirely rational in his hatred and his, you know, his, uh, his uh, just general malaise and just not, he's, he's in a really, really bad space. And I think um, what's interesting in this piece is how Harry set him with no music, because in a way he has no music in his soul. So I think it was a real conscious choice. But what's interesting too is, is when you consider this house, I'm performing this in a house with you know 2,000 something people, you can't just shout your way through the role. So what I've t tried to do is approach it from an operatic tradition. And so when I was learning the part, I, I slowed all his phrases down and sang them in legato fashion with full operatic support underneath it, and then sped them up and sped them up and sped them up to the point where it comes out as speech, but really every vowel is supported fully as you would when you're singing operatically so that the people in the back row will hear every word. So um, it is a challenge, certainly it's a challenge vocally, and it's, and it's a great challenge from an acting perspective because that's where you get to really sort of let loose because, I mean, he's a rambunctious character. He's fighting, he's getting, you know, getting into fights and, and he gets, I mean, executed on stage in front of the whole audience, and which is quite a fun <laughs> moment, I have to <laughs> confess. You yeah. said, so you asked somewhere in there about people's fa your favorite moment in rehearsals. I think for me, um, just from an acting standpoint, to stand out, stand up there and have you know these seven rifles aimed at you, and then going off. It's uh, fun's maybe not the word, but uh, my, my favorite but part is watching watching me watching 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 Mike get shot, but watching him tear up the stage. He's, oh, a, he's a demon. I, I, it's, I, I'm glad I don't have any scenes with him because I, I would be like I would be dumbfounded because I, I he's just Mike is tearing it up. Well, I, you I have, say, when you don't have curve. when you don't yeah. have the vocal opportunities that sort of the other guys have, you have to sort of do something to make your mark. But yeah. uh, it, I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun playing the baddies. Yeah. What I love is what you were saying about practicing this with your kids at home. Oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. Well, this is funny because we all, we all have kids and yeah. we all know that when you're practicing your, your parts at home, the kids always seem to know, yeah. you know the parts that you repeat a lot. And there's a lot of sort of nasty phrases and bad words and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they hear me in the practice room at home singing them and they laugh about it and you know, <laughs> shout them back at yeah. me as a joke. So that's quite know. funny. And they remember them. Yeah, and they I remember them. They seem to remember the, you know, the most foul language ones <laughs> yeah. too, which is oh, yeah. quite funny. I did Nixon in China a few years ago <laughs> and I was the foreign secretary showing Lai. And at, towards the end oh, of the opera, he's with Kissinger and Kissinger says, excuse me, where's the toilet? <laughs> 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 and then showing Lai asks, says, right through that door, oh. you know. For months afterwards, you know, I would hear one of my boys go, excuse me, where's the toilet? And the other one would answer, right through that that's door. Right. <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah, that's you can't get a big head at home with kids. I tell yeah. You. No. yeah. Oh, it's funny. Oh, my gosh, we all have two boys, too. That's true. And we all studied with, with, with the same voice teacher, Miss Kern. At U of T, yeah. that's yeah. true, yeah. Patricia Kern. Oh, we've got a lot of U of T alumni here. Oh, we're, yeah. we're graduating from there this year, too. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's exciting. I have to say, for, for me, it's kind of, uh, you know, I mean, you teach, I don't know, do you, you don't a have wee bit time here and there. Yeah, here and there. Yeah. When you perform in front of your students, it kind of adds extra stress. I don't know if you've had to do that at Western. <laughs> well, no, this is my first year, so that's coming to see the reality. Yeah, but I mean, I've, I've taught at U of T now off and on for ten, 10 years pretty much, and there's so many students in the chorus, in the ensemble, and then there are other singers who I, I've taught, or not taught, they weren't my personal students, but I've coached with them and told them, you know, 
as a teacher would, you know, to correct their mistakes or, or whatever, <laughs> or, and, and encourage them to take it serious and, and all of those important, you know, conversations. But there's so many of them, you know, people I've met from Banff, from U of T, from, mm -hmm. from other, um, I think from Quebec as well, there's someone there at a festival that where I was teaching. So that is an added layer of uh, um, sort of stress <laughs> uh, stress for me because you don't want to falter in front of your students. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be impressed. <laughs> Can you guys tell us about the atmosphere of rehearsal? What's it like to work with Peter Hinton and Johannes de Buse and the rest of the cast? Sure, uh, I, it's, okay. it's amazing. I'd be, Peter's, I think, a genius. I think the way, the, the way he sets things up um, the scenes that he sets, um, his use, I think you, you mentioned or we'll be talking about the use of the land assembly, which is like a silent chorus of Métis, is an absolute, just a genius. It's a mm -hmm. great, a great idea what he's done here. And, and because in a sense it's, it mirrors the reality of the fact that the Métis and the first Canadians for so long have, haven't had a voice in over the course of history. And it's mm -hmm. especially, um, it's an issue today in a big way with the truth and reconciliation that we're all going through, and I know you've probably talked about this at, in other podcasts. Um, so that's a, that's one aspect that's fantastic with what Peter's doing. Um, Johannes is he's like the captain of a ship, steering mm -hmm. us through like a, you know stormy seas because the music and the score is so tricky. And in fact, he was it was Johannes himself that made. I was chatting with him during rehearsal one time, and he said it kind of feels like steering mm -hmm. the ship through through it. And he's fantastic because he's calm, relaxed. Yeah. You know, you know, he knows what's coming before you get there, and he's yeah. So it's amazing, and then getting to work with these guys—it's <laughs> amazing, really. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's a real, a real treat. The key is really that they're patient. I find. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they they understand that it's so challenging for all oh, of us. Exactly. Um, and I'm I'm amazed. Uh, not only I mean, Johannes musically, how patient he's been, sort of just waiting for it to get slowly better and better. Mm -hmm. uh, but also Peter, um, with the huge uh, uh, different types of personalities on stage, with different experience of theater, with, I mean, from zero to you know seasoned mm -hmm. actors who've worked in theaters here in in Toronto for twenty eight years, like Billy. Um, yeah, um, Billy Morasti. Yeah, Billy yeah. Morasti yeah. or Jani, who's experienced with the theater, and there's some supers or you know mm. but to just not lose his cool and just be so patient um, yeah, it's that's a real gift uh, mm -hmm. you know that's and that makes us all feel calm like it's going to be okay exactly mm -hmm. well uh, I'd like to reiterate what Russell and Mike Mike said but <coughs> it, it, it's quite amazing you know Peter I, I now live in Stratford and I and to have Peter to direct this is just for me the the, the small bit of of Indigenous culture that I that I may have that resembles way back in my family. It, it he's bringing everything to a whole. Everything seems seems to feel like it's 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 whole and it's and it's holy at the same time. It's a very spiritual. Everything is. It's it's not even about getting things politically correct or not politically mm -hmm. correct. It's the real story. We've got Métis chorus. We've got Métis actors, um, and Russell is just incredible. Um, to just see the last scene in his arias is yeah. just—I'd leave the room. I'm gonna get teary-eyed thinking about it. But it—and he, he does it. He—it it, just—it's perfect. It—the it, word is perfect. Mm -hmm. The last scene and um, and Johannes steering the ship, talking about steering the ship. You know, this is some of the hardest music I've ever seen, and I've done a lot of new music. And 
He makes it look easy. Mm -hmm. It's like the sprezzatura that he has conducting these incredible patterns mm -hmm. and cueing us and making more saves in the music. I, I, I told him the other day he makes more saves than an NHL goalie. He looked at me and said, oh, I, I don't really know what an NHL goalie does. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I said, well, I'll have to take you to a game. And he, said, he looked back in the score. But he takes his time to learn every character. There's 30 characters in here. And he stops in rehearsal and says, so what is this character thinking here? You know, he gets involved. Not, not just one, two, three, four pattern and cueing us in. He, he understands our whole interpretation of each individual character. We're, ex we're, ex yeah. we're extremely yeah, lucky. And yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great show. We, we, uh, we're, time is of the essence. But I think it's going to be a wonderful show for Toronto, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, can each of you tell us one of your favorite moments from rehearsal <coughs> so far? Maybe besides standing in front of the yes, firing Yes, <laughs> getting executed on stage. Um, well, actually, I, another moment that was kind of took me by surprise was in the very first staging when I shout one of my horrible, horrible racist lines at, this, at the chorus. What um, Peter has done is he's using the Métis people as the barricade that the piece starts with. And uh, just shouting those words at, like you're, you're supposed to be shouting on a wall, essentially, at a barricade, but to shout them at these people, and, and it, it, was, it took me by surprise, and I really was like, I felt terrible afterwards, and it, it, it took me a moment to sort of collect myself, and I actually had what felt, felt I wanted to go apologize to them. So that kind of was a surprising moment, and, and again, that, takes, that talks a bit about how, how Peter is such a genius with this idea, that even as an actor on stage, acting your part, you can still be touched emotionally by something so much, and I was really quite struck by that. That mm. was a surprising moment. As I said before, my favorite part of the whole rehearsal process was the first time, and Russell came to me, he said he sang, didn't sing the right right notes or anything, but he, it blew my mind. The, the trial scene when he gets to say his, his piece, and I had to leave the room. I'd, I'd lost it. So, but it was just, it's, that was really special. Can't top that. I think. Yeah, <laughs> what can I say? It's true. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of spirituality that I think in, invites you to connect to in through this opera without kind of uh, feeling intimidated by it somehow. Yeah, I yeah, think. Very, yeah. But the, I mean, the the very last musically. Here and there, when, when we do our repertoire, there'll be you know a moment where we have a, a cadenza. And there's this moment of freedom where you can sort of extemporize a little bit vocally and, and, and feel as if you're being spontaneous. Um, and there's actually the very last extended uh, um, aria, I guess you can call it, for for Louis Riel is completely unaccompanied. And even though it's extremely difficult to learn because it's all you know subdivided, there'll be a bar that has one eight plus two four and then another three eight all in, uh, just in incredibly precise and micromanaged. Um, but in the end, it's completely unaccompanied and it's really kind of, uh, it's liberating to have a moment on stage like that where you can just uh, tell the story, I guess, and you're not, you won't take anyone down with you if you make a mistake. <laughs> and <laughs> if you make a mistake, you can kind of find your own 
way to, to get yourself, um, I mean, I'm not planning to have mistakes, <laughs> but um, also just to, to be focused because um, what I'm finding, now that I'm feeling more confident with the, the amount of music that's there, I'm not taking any time to make my mind just become still so that I can continue on with the next. And those are the moments that I'm, I need to find more of. And that last aria is just, it's a great gift that way. You, know, you say something, then you have a moment to reflect, and then you say, and what he says is so hopeful. It's so optimistic, and it's so heartfelt. And I think almost all the words are taken from his actual um, testimony. It's kind of shattering in a way that last. And it's as applicable say today, isn't it? As it, yeah. as it would have been. Yeah. 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 Every word <coughs> could be used. Yeah. Mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. Even today. So we've spoken with Julian Gallo and Peter Hinton about sort of the changing, the changes <coughs> to sort of the direction of this opera um, with the land assembly and the second chorus. Could you talk about some of the modernizing elements of the opera where certain characters are in modern dress, how that impacts the role or the staging and your interpretation of these characters? Well, I'm in plaid, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, well, and, and interesting enough, Peter, you know, calmed me down by saying it was a slimming plaid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if there's such a thing. But even my uh, shoes are plaid and my this bright red plaid. And they were actually going to think, they thought about actually making makeup plaid. Wow. But they didn't go that. Wow. And, and my wig is very, I, I, I'm more of a theatrical Sir John in, in terms of a, a conception, kind of, as you'd say, um, kind of a Hunger Games meets... Uh, <laughs> But it, but it works though because because you realize that in any given time frame, you have these politicians as we said before that are pragmatic and they make decisions that can absolutely ruin lives, and they make it just like they're brushing their teeth, and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So for me, it's it's the it's the look of Sir John, and that was that was concerning because you know everyone sees him on the dollar bill. There was not a lot of pictures <coughs> of him. Um, in his in his first part of Parliament, interestingly enough, um, but there are later in his life, and, and 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 he was very concerned about how he looked. He would he would often hide his belly and so forth, and and uh, and I was worried. What are they going to put a wig and put a big bulbous nose on me? And <laughs> and but no, it's it's I think it's more a relationship so that everyone can look in the, inward and see how are they going to be. You know, are, um, how do they make decisions that affect people's lives? Are they responsible? Do they keep their promises? So it's uh, it's an interesting concept, but that's what I'm getting out of the show. Hmm. It's pretty much separate from what goes on in in Riel's mm -hmm. uh, uh, scenes. And the chorus is behind him all the time. There's no interaction between the sung chorus. There is interaction with the silent chorus, the land assembly, and. Uh, some of those moments are really um, profound. It'll be interesting. Um, we yeah. haven't we haven't as yet done it on stage with no, costumes, so yeah. it, it isn't entirely clear to us yet who the modern people are on the stage, right? Yeah, because there yeah, will be a, amongst the the mm -hmm. land assembly, some of them may be in modern dress. They will be. So uh, it'll be interesting. More, I think th that'll have more of an impact on us at that time when we see the costumes, which is coming soon. Yeah. But uh, it's really it's a uh, you're saying earlier it's a clever theatrical device, because what it does is it brings the audience almost onto the stage mm -hmm. through these people in modern dress. So that's an, an, a neat 
And it's always a court scene. There's always a judging yeah, that's true. panel of court scenes. It kind of reminds me of that um, next generation, you know, when they, they came back in the queue with the, you know, <laughs> like everyone's constantly <laughs> watching them. And, uh, yeah. Star Trek's on my mind because we were listening to the, yeah, there's these flavors of 1960s in the music, modern 1960s, but there's this, always this courtroom where, where people are judging one another. And that's interesting. And that's too. actually in the set design. You're right. He yeah. mentioned that early on, and that the idea was that it was the House Parliament, but it was also like the jury box. It was, yeah. you know, the judge sitting up there in judgment. So there is that uh, that sense as well, that sort of mm -hmm. modern courtroom background. Yeah. yeah. I think to the listener, <coughs> the music will sound very, very modern, or what 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 people think is modern music, uh, whereas. I mean, the contemporary music that we've sung that's been written in the last five years or so doesn't sound anything like yeah. that anymore. It, it's actually, I think, gone much more tonal, mm -hmm. much, much more into sort of warm uh, colors of the orchestra rather than this, I mean, the, the size of the percussion section of the orchestra <laughs> is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, I did an opera by a contemporary of um, Harry Summers, um, Hans Werner Henze, and this opera was written in 65, 66, like really exactly the same time that um, Summers was writing it. And Henze uh, was never appreciated in his own country because his music wasn't sounding modern enough. You know, like how can you write modern music after Schoenberg and Berg? And like, where, where can you go? And I think um, Harry Summers really tried to go further with that. And uh, Henze kind of, I think already felt that you needed to go back, mm -hmm. which um, it's interesting how that's mm -hmm. happened in the last, um, well, yeah, half century, last, 20, yeah, 30 years true. or so. That's very true. And yet in cinema, I, I find, mm -hmm. I find, I find the, the orchestration almost cinematic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's very eerie. Um, it's, it's almost overwhelming. Um, and I, I, I can imagine with what Peter has brought to the table in terms of and what Russell's mm -hmm. doing. The visuals, yeah. There's some scenes that are going to be almost overwhelming for people, I think. <coughs> yeah. yeah, it's almost more about the atmosphere than it yeah. is about the melody, isn't it? Really, mm -hmm. it's about creating mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. The emotion of the atmosphere. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting, there's some reviews from when the television broadcast came out that this was an opera that should have been written for television, that it suited mm -hmm. that medium mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. well. So that sort of cinematic mm -hmm. underscoring mm -hmm. is really interesting. So, what are each of you most looking forward to for opening night? <laughs> oh. Or least. <laughs> well, you know, I hate to say it, Russell, but to, to watch you get hung means I won't be counting anymore. <laughs> because, ah! the minute, because the minute I say my last line and I'm taught to right. kick a talk, and I turn and I, yeah, well, I'm not going to give it away, but uh, obviously <laughs> the real is, is hung. Shh, don't say it! But, uh, but, um, cut. We'll cut that part. Um, yeah, that'll be a, a happy moment for me. <laughs> Sorry, Russell. <laughs> yeah, right, so there'll be a lot tough. of moments where yeah. we, I mean, it's like ticking it's boxes not, off. Not really it? sort of a sign of negativity, but I think there'll be a lot of moments where, for the first time, we we'll think, oh, "I'm glad that's finished. I'm glad Victorious. that's finished." Yeah. That you know, and we we yeah. each have scenes like that that we just think, you know, let's go forward. This yeah. is behind us now, and. Uh, 
I'll be really, <laughs> I'll be really interested to, to see what the audience has to say yeah. afterwards too, because yes. I mean, this piece has been on the shelf since what, 75, was it yeah, the last exactly. time? No, no, they did it at there's McGill. There's two university productions. Yeah. McGill oh, okay. did 2005 oh, okay. and UBC in 2010. Oh, okay, so it has been done more recently. By but students. that for me will be really interesting to see how you know, some of the our you know friends and tra the traditional opera goers will, will what they'll have to say about it. I mean, you know, I know there's uh, when you people listen to Benjamin Britten and stuff, that's not really considered modern anymore mm -hmm. in a way. But uh, there are people who love that, and there are people who hate that. So that's always intriguing to me about where people come down on certain pieces of music, and where people from the theater community might enjoy it yeah. versus the people yeah. from the opera, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's why it's an intriguing piece that way. So that would be. Always interesting to hear the feedback I afterwards. There's a terrific amount of beauty in it. Yeah, and and I know that sounds weird, but I and maybe it's because there's not much beauty in my scenes. But in in, in some of the indigenous scenes, there's a terrific amount of care in, in finding this real beauty and real honest beauty, and it's mm -hmm. it's quite remarkable, I think. And how do you feel about having some of the members of the original cast in the audience opening this? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> looking into Roxolana's yeah, eyes afterwards. I'm sure she'll be at the, at the premiere. Be yeah, Mary Morrison will be there. Victor Feldman. Victor will be there too. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think uh, the original costume designer and set designer, Marie Day and Marie Locker, have yeah. also That's got to That's really cool. And what about, um, what's his name, who directed this? Um, Leon Major? Oh, yeah, Leon Major. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Didn't we do something with him? I did, I did a Carmen uh, with him. Yeah. 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 With him. Yeah. Carmen with him in yeah. San Francisco. He's wonderful. Yeah, really good. Uh, good really guy. good director. Yeah. Wow. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now I know. I'm getting nervous. That's kind of cool, actually. And last question What do you hope the audience walks away from this opera with? Like, what do you hope they listen or watch for? And then how do you hope? they take this opera home? For them. me, it's really simple. Um, like any opera has a message, you know, Traviata, Boheme, you know, a lot of times it's love, but in, in, in a political sense, almost like Don Carlo, um, in Verdi's Don Carlo, there's, there's promises that are made and promises that are broken. And I hope the audience comes away with realizing that your actions and your, your intent to look inward instead of outward to other people is a huge consequence in everyday life. And I think if we can get that across and maybe get the history right, that's all, I, that's all I'm hoping for. That's I cannot that's hard say anything that. <laughs> that, that, uh, to add. I think that's, yeah. that's such a beautiful idea. Absolutely. It's not, you know, we're not aiming for them to walk away going, Oh, this this music just you know it's not in a sense it's not about the music no. it's about mm -hmm. what James just said yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah even though the music is the only way that we can get there <laughs> well thank you so much for speaking with us today such a wonderful conversation with all of you awesome great We're thank you really thank you. excited for opening night well, we had a yes, good time yeah, yeah, it was fun we will be there too that's good <laughs> cool come cool. back and say hi <laughs> yeah. What else is there to say? Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode, and we look forward to hearing more from you on Twitter. You can find us at Real Opera Talk, or send us an email at louisrealpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.